0: We're excited this weekend to begin our Christmas series called The Biggest Story. You know, uh, there is no doubt that this book is the biggest deal in human history. There's no book that's had impact and influence on culture for thousands of years like this book has. We don't have time today to talk about the impact on the moral, the spiritual, and even the political development of the West that has come from the Bible. But I will tell you this, I will give you this fact that virtually every household in the West has at least one, if not more copies of the Bible. How many of you got at least one copy of a Bible in your house? Look around, how many of you have more than one Bible in your home, right? Uh, You know, it's been translated into a thousand languages. Uh, And from 1800 to 1950, more than 1 billion copies of this book has been sold. It is the most influential book in history. Bestseller doesn't touch it. I was reading a couple of weeks ago a man named Leland Riken wrote an article in the Washington Times a couple of Christmases ago, and he said this. He said, Every year, two million visitors file past the famed Liberty Bell in Philadelphia. As they look at that cracked bell, they read these words Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto the inhabitants thereof. This, is, this inscription comes from Leviticus. When presidents of the United States raised their right hand to take the oath of office at their inauguration, they placed their left hand on a Bible. When Martin Luther King stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. and delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech, he said, we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty Stream. You know where those words came from? The book of Amos. Why does the Bible appear in such places? Leland says, because it is the central and foundational book of Western culture, including American culture. Everywhere we turn in the cultural past, we find the Bible. We can't avoid it if we tried, and we will never understand our past without a knowledge of this book. Here's the question. Why is that book such a big deal? Now don't give me a church answer. Think about it for a moment. It's long. It's hard to understand. Come on somebody, anybody ever read Revelation? If you're new to the faith, don't start in Revelation. I mean, you, I mean you think about this, by human standards, The book wouldn't make any bestseller list. Yet over 1 billion copies sold. Why? Well, I would give you two reasons this day. Number one, I would say that because from Genesis to Revelation, this book is the story of Jesus Christ. That as we'll see this month, You see him reflected on every page of this book and no person has impacted the world like Jesus Christ ever. Um, No one has ever influenced culture like Jesus, our calendar. When you open up your Outlook calendar, it's all because of Christ. More art has been created, inspired by the person of Jesus Christ than any other figure. Think about it. And if you like de-churchify it, when he died, nobody thought there was going to be a legacy left. But we're still marking our calendars. They're still painting art. They're still sculpting. They're still inspired to write blogs and poetry based upon his life. The hospital system as we know it started because a follower of Christ said, what if we found a place for lepers to come and for them to get hope and health and healing? Hospital system. Even the way we die. Cemeteries. You know that the word cemetery comes from a, Its root is a Greek word that that means a sleeping place. Why? It was inspired by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I would submit to you this day that this book is a big deal. Mostly and most importantly, because it gives us a reflection of the nature of who Jesus was and who Jesus is. But secondly, I think this book is a story about us. I think that when the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write that all scripture is God-breathed, that the word of God is living and active. That a part of what God wanted us to see is that we see the Christ in us reflected in the story in those pages. That because it's not simply a book about what God did, but it is a story of what God is doing and continues to do. We see our high points, our low points. We find ourselves in the middle of this story. Everybody cough, it'll make me feel better. Thank (laughs) you. And so for the few moments that we have together this day, I want to begin in the beginning because if you miss the beginning of a great story, you'll always not understand it in its fullness. Anybody ever get to a movie late? I'm not going to take the low hanging fruit and talk about getting to church late. Anybody ever get to a movie late (laughs) and you get in and it's like, Somebody tell me what happened and I can't understand this. And the story doesn't make sense if you don't understand the beginning. Right? Right. And so when the Bible says in the beginning, it's important to understand what's happening. Number one, I would say this, as you look in the book of Genesis at the beginning, you'll find out that where it started is God's intention of making you and me fully alive. Fully alive. That one of the reasons that the beginning is so important is because it's in the beginning that you see God's heart for human kind. You see what God is really up to. Has anybody ever gone? I wonder what God is up to. Anybody besides me ever gone? God, what are you doing? What is? What is your intent? What are you working out here in this? I seem to have more questions than answers, and it's good to go back to the beginning and understand what god was trying to do and so in the early pages of the story of jesus in our story the bible says in genesis chapter one that god said let's make man in our image in our likeness and let him rule over the fish of the sea the birds of the air over the livestock over the earth and over all the creatures that move on the ground you were created to have dominion You were created for authority. You were not created to be a victim, but to be a victor. This was God's intent for your life. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And God said to them, don't miss this. Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea. In the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground, it is God's word of blessing. If you wonder what God is up to in your life, God is wanting to bless you. You find it out in the beginning. He says, "I'd give you every seed bearing plant if you're a vegan, it was like delight here, you know." I, I'll give you every, you guys that are on a plant-based diet, everything I'm going to create seed-based, I'm going to give it to you so that you'll ha- have something to eat. Fruit with seed in it. Come on, strawberries. God made them for you. He made it for you to be enjoyed with. That's what the Bible says. He gives you, and like for you Texas meat eaters, you, you know, real Christians like me, the Bible says, <laughs> I give you the beasts of the earth and the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give it to you for food. I give every green plant for food. And so it was so. And he looks and he says, okay, this is good. I'm, I'm creating a person and I'm creating something for a person. And my intent is good. My intent is blessing. Everybody with me? This is Romans eight twenty eight reflected in the beginning that God is working for good. But then in Genesis 2, it says this. He says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they created, when God, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now listen to this. No shrub of the field had yet appeared and no plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no man to work the ground. I mean, it's Midland, man. This is what he's describing. I mean, they're living in Midland. They're living in in this desert, arid area. No rain. But listen to this. But... He had streams come up from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. So so God says, look, I I need to give you vegetation to live and survive. So I'm gonna make water spring up from the ground. you're, You're not ready to deal with the, for us, it's an inconvenience. For them, it was a major impediment, the impediment of rain. I mean, the only reason most of us like it to rain is because we want plants to grow. We want the ground to be lush. God says, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna give the impediment of rain. I'm gonna like, this is gonna be important a moment. Stay with me. I'm gonna, water's gonna spring from the ground. and gonna take care of everything. And God is saying, my original intent is to meet all of your needs in the most improbable of ways. This is what God wants to do, but I, want you, I don't want you to miss this last verse because it says, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. So he, he forms him from the ground, from this mud, this clay, he forms him and then he says, this is important. He breathes life into him. Something that wasn't alive became someone that was fully alive when God went. Because God's original intent was to into your soul. This is the air I breathe, we used to say. It is possible to be walking, talking, seeing, responding and not really living until you experience And the result of a life sustained by is they were naked. But they had no shame. Nothing to prove and nothing to hide. Because they were utterly dependent and focused on I think we sing it this way. You are more than enough for me. This is what God's heart is for me and for you. It's important to understand the beginning. So you might begin to understand what really happened in the garden. In Genesis three, the Bible says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, now this is, this is the, if you understand the original strategy of the enemy, you'll understand how the enemy is trying to work in your life. Did God really say, did he really mean that? Did he really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Now, you, you don't have to have gone to church very long to know. Yeah, God said that. Genesis chapter 2, it's pretty clear. You can have all these trees, but you can't have this one. <laughs> did he really say you can't eat from that tree? And the woman said, hey, no, we can have everything. We can eat from fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you will not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the devil says the serpent says for god knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like god knowing good and evil hey god didn't really mean it when he did this god doesn't have your best interest at heart you're a better source for your life than God is. This is what the devil is saying. This is why this story is our story. Because this fight is our fight. The Bible says the woman saw that it was good and she pleasing for the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some and she ate it. She ate of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She gave some to her husband who was with her. He ate it. Now, now I want you to see what happens next. There's so much happening here. We don't have time to get into today, but I want you to see that verse seven says that the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking into the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, he answered, or he said, the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? How many of you know that when God is asked a question, he already knows the answer. He ain't looking for information. Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. See what really happened in the garden at its core is a broken connection the stops. What, what really happened in the garden at its core is that people went from relying, these two went from relying on a person to focusing on a rule. They went from source awareness to self-awareness. And guess what the result was? Shame. See, what really happened in the garden is that the devil fooled Adam and Eve into believing that they were a better source than God was. And so they became their own source. It's why the Bible begins to detail. So what do they do? They They become aware of themselves and they try to fix stuff. We're naked, oh, we better, you know, we better like sew up some fig leaves and make some clothes. Oh, we hear God coming, so we better hide. It's all about them becoming their own source. And what happened that day happens this day in our lives. We try to figure out what's wrong with us, and then we try to fix it. you understand the futility of becoming your own source i was looking for ways to kind of help us all get on the same page about this and i so i'm looking for some ways to represent it and i thought about like if you're like traveling out west for the holidays and you you uh you pass i don't know dumas or emerald or something out there and you're heading toward the mountains and you look down and you've got this much gas left in your tank because you forgot to stop at the last quick stop and get some gas. And it's like 450 miles until the next town. And it's the middle of the night and you're traveling and you start panicking. Do you all, do we all understand that you can't siphon from your own tank and fill up your tank? Well, I just need this much more gas. I'll just get a hose and I'll siphon out of my tank back into my tank. This is how most of us live our lives. Because we really stink at being our own source. Not because there's something wrong with us, but because we're not God. (laughs) Now, I'm going to tell you when this came to me is this, I've done a lot of traveling second half this year, a lot more traveling than I want to do. and I was doing a lot of traveling and, and doing a lot of work uh, on the road for what was happening here. And I, was, I remember I was in Washington, DC and I was trying to finish some message stuff and, and work on some stuff for another organization. I was helping and I was, I was uh, writing some emails and I'm sitting in the airport at, I don't know what you call the Washington airport. I was sitting in there and I'm doing this and I look up and the little red light comes off on my deal. And it's like, oh, I'm out of, Juice, what am I gonna do? Now, if you've ever been at one of these major metropolitan airports, like it's elbow room to try to find a, like a gold is finding an outlet that's open. There are people, I mean, it's like MMA trying to find one of these. And so I'm looking and there's all these people and I'm out of juice and I thought, well, I've got a cord. I'll unplug, my, I'll unplug the, uh, the, the, uh, the plug that goes into the wall. And what I'll do is I'll just plug that into my phone. I'll just use juice from my phone to power my laptop. It's a pretty smart idea, really. Some of these millennials are going, that's pretty smart, dude. You know what you're doing. Here's the problem. You know how fast a phone runs out when it's sucking all the juice from your laptop? And four minutes later, this is out and this is out. Listen to me, listen to me, look at me. This is how most of us live our lives. We've been fooled into believing in Western culture by all the posters we see in our schools and that all the signs in our locker rooms that like we, we can be a really good source and it works for a moment, but it's like siphoning gas, out of your gas tank? What really happened in the garden is Adam and Eve jacked up for all of us that we're now born, I believe, believing on self-reliance as the key to life. And, and here's the deal, man, like the church just kind of takes passages out of context he exacerbates that lie, Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so we put it on our wall and say, "Look, kids, you can make all A's." That's not true. I cannot do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can't run a four point two forty. I don't. Care. I can't do it. I'm fifty three years old. My knees hurt. The passage is talking about God can be because Paul's talking about he's had a lot. He's had a little. He learned how to be content, and he says, "You know what." God will sustain me. God can be my source no matter what I face. Oprah lied, the power is not within you, it's not. You and I suck at being our own source. And you read the Old Testament and you just see this over and over and over again. In fact, I would say this, at the risk of getting some emails, I would say this, at its core, sin is not what you think it is. Sin is not a behavior problem, it's a source problem. That when we talk about sin, we talk about behavior, but we don't talk about what drives us to that behavior and it is replacing the ultimate source with something else. That's really what missing the mark is all about. It's, I'm empty. I'm sitting in the airport in Washington DC and I have these needs, I have these things I need to do. And the faster I run, the quicker I run out. So I'll just fill it with something else. One of my favorite authors said many years ago, too many preachers stand on stages and tell people not to dance around golden calves, but they never get around to talking about what drove people to dance around the golden calf in the first place. It's a source issue. And because God loves us, he will nudge us out of places where we're living reliant on ourselves. The greatest act of mercy God did for Adam and Eve is he sent them out of the garden. Why? Because if they would have kept living the way they were living, they were gonna die a slow death. It Wasn't God's judgment, it was God's mercy. Well, God cursed Adam and Eve. No, he didn't, he cursed the devil. He cursed the serpent. He didn't curse Adam I and go read it. It was an act of mercy and grace. God, what are you doing in my life? I'm nudging you to a place that you will come to the end of yourself. So that you will begin not to act better, but to search for a different source. Because you were created for that. See, the beginning is very important. So we sing the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, and we think of a baby in a manger, but it started in the garden. The Christmas story didn't begin In a manger with wise men, it began when God moved to rectify what had been broken in connection between Adam and Eve and him. Well, how do you know that, Toby? Well, I'm glad you asked. Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says, The Lord God says to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You're going to crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your lives. This is why everybody hates snakes. Uh, Really, it is. And but listen to this, he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Who will crush? Who's the snake crusher? It's Jesus. You understand that Jesus was born of a virgin because of what was spoken by his father in the garden. I'll put enmity between who? Between you and the woman. And I'm gonna bring new seed, new hope, new expectation for in people's lives. Jesus is the seed of Adam because he is the answer to the problem that began in the garden and that we still wrestle with today. You know, it's interesting because we're so linear. We so think in time and this happened in the beginning and then all of this time passed and then Jesus came. And we forget the words of John that we like to read at Christmas. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. It's important to know Jesus was in the garden. The Christmas story began in the garden. Through him all things were made without him. Nothing that has been made, that w- nothing was made that has been made. In him was what? <sighs> and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, who? Jesus. All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. And in him, all things are held together. Jesus didn't come to simply save you for heaven. Jesus came to reconnect you to your source. You don't have a sin problem. You have a source problem. So do I. It's like your engine blowing out of your car and you decided the solution is to paint it. (sighs) That's funny. He came to reconnect us. So I get back from DC. I'm home. I've been home 30 minutes. I'm over there on Amazon. Mike's like, what are you doing? I'm researching because I'm buying one of these. <laughs> this is the greatest thing I ever bought. I mean, I researched it. It was the top of the list, RAV Power. This sucker right here, I can charge my iPhone and my laptop seven to eight times before it runs out of juice. Listen to me, I found a new source and all of these trips changed for me. Jesus came to be a new source. He didn't come to clean you up. Yes, sin is disobedience. Yes, it is, it's missing the mark, but sin is a result of something that got broken in the garden that Jesus came to restore. And once you start seeing it, it's hard to not see it. Because Jesus makes statements like this about himself. Listen to this, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water, I came to restore. What got broken in the garden, remember the streams of water in Genesis 3? Jesus said, I'm gonna do that again. <laughs> he declares about himself, I'm the bread of life. And people, cynical, sarcastic, doubtful people say, well, give us some of that because we're hungry. Yeah, I tell you what, if you eat a meat, you'll never be hungry again. I'll, I'll meet all of your needs according to my glorious riches. I'm gonna restore what was broken in the garden. The thrill of hope is not a little baby and the sweet way he was born. I'm I'm in on all of that stuff, but it's deeper than that. It's richer than that. It's more hope than that. It's hope that, that God wants to in you and me again. It's being fully alive. It's what it means to say, "Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it's well with my soul. Because yea, though they slay me, yet will I trust in why? Because you are the air that I breathe. Not because I came but because I'm still coming. He was there in the beginning. He said it was better that he would go. Why? Because the Lord is near. He's writing your story today. And the question before the house is this. Well, if this is what God wants to do, why am I not experiencing abundant life? Well, come on back next week and we'll show you in the story, you and me, and the real battle we face and the real lie we believe and the real power available to us to find deliverance. Let's pray together. Lord, you, you, are, you are the air that we breathe but we like to sing you're enough, but we want other stuff. <laughs> and the cry of our heart many times is, did you really say? <laughs> and so Lord, I'm asking just in this moment, would you just come and breathe again? <sighs> I pray that this Christmas season that there would be hundreds of us that receive the gift of being fully alive. Lord, I would just pray even in this moment, if there's one sitting among us who is beginning to understand this is what you came to do, this is what you're still doing This is what my problem really is. I can't siphon my own tank. I can't quit sucking my cell phone dry. I need a new source that this would be the moment you say, Jesus, I give you my life, best way I know how. I mean, if that's you, would you just raise your hand wherever you are, Jesus, I, I just give you my life, I'm tired. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I want you again, breathe life into me. You are the air that I breathe. And I'm desperate for you. I thank you, Father, you're, you're, <laughs> you would send your son to be the snake crusher in our lives. And that you would see fit to let us be a part of the greatest story of all time. So take the pen and do what you will. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen.